0: Hello and welcome to Seeking Health with Josiah Meyer. Seek health, find God, and ministries will find you. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about revisiting abortion politics. Now, this isn't going to look specifically at the issue of abortion. It's going to look more at the political side, because um, I was born and raised an evangelical and spent... 15 years in ministry in an evangelical church and seven of that of those years was being a missionary overseas and then as a campus pastor on a university in quebec canada um all within evangelicalism teaching evangelicalism spreading evangelicalism and defending evangelicalism as an apologist an apologist is somebody that kind of like a lawyer explains the religion to other people and We technically say, evangelicals technically say, that we believe in a separation of church and state. But um, on some issues, especially on abortion, we are very politically engaged. And every four years, even though I'm in Canada, I'm reminded of just how politically engaged evangelicals are. And every once in a while, Americans on Facebook will ask me, why do you Canadians care so much about American politics? And the answer is that... Um, most of our media comes from the States up here in Canada. And so we, we just kind of, we're part of it. We're part of American evangelicalism, except that we can't vote and we have free healthcare. Um, and so that's why it's maybe a little bit strange, but also I think Canadians can give a bit of an outsider perspective and hopefully that's helpful. Um, it's been a, and, and, of course, Canada also has its own story with abortion politics. So it's been a long time since... Um, it's been a long time coming that I've, I have felt uneasy and uncertain about just the way that Christians engage with abortion politics. Way back in 2008, um, as I was watching the, the election then with, between Obama and John McCain... I mentioned on my blog, I had a very small blog then, and I was asking a lot of provocative questions, and just, I I considered myself emergent at the time, and was just asking questions, and didn't have a lot of answers, but I was searching, and I said, you know what, I think I would vote for Obama over John McCain at that time. And my reason was... For one thing, I thought he had better policies. I thought he carried himself very well as a leader. And I also felt like we keep voting these guys in. In Canada, we voted in in Stephen Harper, in large part over the abortion issue. But, and in the States, um, my American brothers and sisters voted in George W. Bush, because of his abortion stance, in large part, and yet it seemed like they wouldn't do anything. Um, Stephen Harper had a majority government for quite a while, and he had, he was the prime minister for nearly a decade, uh, known as being a very strong leader, very, um, just very strong uh, in his, he wasn't necessarily bipartisan, he just pushed ahead with his own agenda, but on the issue of abortion he he didn't do anything and so that's one part of it i feel like politicians can say they're pro-life but what what do they actually do the other thing that really bothered me and still bothers me is that it seemed like if somebody said they were pro-life and then the evangelical leaders decided that that was the candidate that everybody should vote for it seemed like they could do no wrong whereas people that were pro-choice could do no right. And certain evangelical friends, um, I felt the need to rebuke them a few times for, look, these are our leaders. You can't just badmouth them. You can't just insult them. You can't just like, people just go after these people and they say that they're Christians. And yet the things that come out of their mouth towards their leaders are not the sort of things that are fitting to say about any human being, um, especially without proof. And especially, um, again, our leaders, we're supposed to have some sort of respect for our leaders. Um, the other guys can do no right. And our guys can do no wrong. It seemed as though evangelicals were, were willing to give conservative candidates a free pass on anything. Um, you know, I was very concerned that George Bush brought in Guantanamo Bay. It's a really, really, really big deal that he uh, ignored the Geneva Convent, um, Convention. You know, after World War Two, all the nations of the world got together and said, there's some things we're not going to do during war. We're not going to torture people. Uh, we're not going to hold people without a trial. Um, there's things that we decided we weren't going to do because World War Two was so terrible. And you would think that these would be things, for one thing, you would think that Christians would be about honouring their word and honouring vows and contracts and promises. Like, it seems like the Geneva contract kind of went, or whatever it was, the Geneva Convention, went beyond just a contract. It was like an ethical mandate. This was... Humanity committing together to something important to make sure World War II and those sorts of things didn't happen again. But Christians just gave George Bush a, a free pass on that. They weren't the moral compass to say, hey, you can't do that. We can't be torturing people to get information out of them. We can't be holding people without a trial in Guantanamo Bay. And yet, um, here we are. And also George Bush um, put in the Patriot Act uh, saying that if you're a terrorist, whatever that means, uh, then you can be held without a trial and you can... You know, normal rights don't apply to you. And now Trump has pushed through that uh, the, the government can watch your browsing history without a warrant. We just let these things go because they're... I mean, if can you imagine if Democrats did that? We'd be all over them. We'd be saying, oh, these people are... Um, the antichrist and they're trying to control us and they're trying to spy on us and they're trying to steal our freedoms but when our guys do it we just it doesn't matter and why doesn't it matter it's because of abortion it's because we figure because these people are willing to do to push our agenda of abortion we'll just give them free pass on all this stuff and now of course with trump and his behavior it's becoming more and more apparent that As long as somebody's going to do what we think they should do, we'll let them get away with just about anything. And I think it's, I mean, everybody else sees that. Other people see that too. But um, it's just really hard for a witness, I feel like. The other thing that, as I thought more about this, because um, for many years I had to just kind of park these ideas and, um, you know, you certainly can't, Uh, This is really a sacred cow. This is really a hot button issue for a lot of people. And as a missionary, there's no way I could ask provocative questions about it. But now that I'm out of ministry and I'm uh, working a blue collar job and I have time to think and write and listen to podcasts and different things. Something that's really becoming bothersome to me as well is what about democracy? Democracy. Like we've gotten to a point where the majority of the population does not want um, the majority of the population wants abortion to be legal. So the minority of Christians of evangelicals um, are trying to push through laws to enforce over the majority, and they're trying to push for everybody together is all one voting block. Which is going to shift the vote. So, that again, you know, it takes away the ability to hold people accountable to individual policies because we have to vote as a block, apparently, so that we can push through the agenda, so that we can get in the Supreme Court justices, so that we can get our agenda pushed, so that we can force people that don't want this policy to have this policy. It's the minority pushing their agenda on the majority, which is not democratic. And people will push that back and say, yeah, but it's a Christian nation and this is, you know, murder and this is genocide. Yes, but isn't this anti-democratic? Maybe there's a time and a place for it, but it just, it's another thing that kind of raises alarm bells for me. So I wrote a blog post about that, put it on my blog Uh, I just called it, um, I don't get the pro-life argument. Um, Just kind of daring to think about this issue. It's hard to dare to think when, you know, people have such strong opinions and, um, you know, I care about being liked. (laughs) I won't lie. Um, But um, I want to think about it. I want to talk about it. There's something about it that just didn't really feel right. And so today I posted on my Facebook, what did I post? Let me see if I can get the wording exactly right. I said, if left-leaning policies such as birth control, social aid, sex ed, etc. actually reduce the number of abortions more effectively than right-leaning policies, such as attempting to make it illegal, would you consider voting left and not right? And so I had quite the discussion on this. Um... I think there was about a hundred comments all told today. And, um, you know, a lot of people, well, there were a few people that were very vocal, but the pro-life argument kind of seemed to center around it's a sin, it needs to be criminalized. How could you think anything else? Okay. And what I kept coming back to is what if other policies actually reduce the number of abortions what if there were less abortions because there was more social aid or because women really had options or because of birth control or because of better sex ed what if these other things could actually reduce the number of abortions because abortions everybody agrees there's nobody that's a fan of abortion pretty much i mean maybe there is somewhere but i think everybody understands that abortions are hard on a woman emotionally, physically. Um, nobody wants to think about babies dying, being aborted. Um, no matter what your stance, I don't think anybody is happy about it. Um, so the question is, what's the best way to reduce the overall number of abortions? Because everybody agrees that we don't want abortions. Um, And what what, the thing that this really, I think this is what this podcast is going to be called because this is the key insight that I learned today that through the discussion, all of a sudden something clicked for me. And I realized this is a discussion about criminalizing versus regulating a practice. And we just had that discussion here in Canada over marijuana use, and the United States is still having it state by state, that discussion. And... When marijuana came up for this discussion during the last election, or second, two elections ago, uh, I was very much against legalizing marijuana. I thought, we're going to see people smoking in all the street corners, it's going to go crazy, it's going to be rampant, it's going to be out of control. Um, Let's keep it illegal. Well, they legalized it, even though I didn't want them to. And what do you know? It's not that bad. Um, and there's smoke shops up in a lot of places. It's government regulated. The government's getting tax dollars. Um, there are less people going to jail because of small quantities of marijuana. And, um, the people that are going to jail now don't have as steep of jail fines and things like that. Um, I just mentioned that to say When you look at a practice that you don't want, such as people using recreational marijuana too much, you might look at that and say, that's a bad thing. We don't want people using recreational marijuana too much. One option is to make it illegal, so nobody can use it across the board. Another option is to say, let's make it legal but put laws on it. Those are two different options, and it's not always evident... Like It's not always evident, first of all, that making it illegal will eradicate it. That's a simplistic view. Uh, Humans are complicated and humans are very ingenious. You can't simply make something illegal and expect people to stop doing it. Um, And secondly, sometimes with some things, making it legal but regulating it might actually reduce the number of people doing it or using it, such as cigarettes. Cigarettes are legal. However, there are strong fines, and it's regulated, and it's controlled. And uh, if you sell cigarettes to a minor, that's a really big deal. You could get a big fine for that. Um, You know, there's pictures on cigarette cases. There's all this different stuff to to limit the use of cigarettes. Um, Something that really didn't work to criminalize was alcohol. Um, Around the turn of the 19th century, or the 20th century, alcohol, of course, was criminalized in Canada and the United States. Um, it didn't work. People still drank. The only problem was that um, either they were homebrewing and it was poor quality and could make you sick, or else um, Al Capone and, and the mob was making alcohol and making tons and tons and tons of money. And so it was funding all these criminal ventures that are still, um, some of them are still around today and and we're still feeling the the effects of those. Another example of criminalization versus regulation uh, that people have strong opinions on is um, detoxing houses. Uh, there might be a different name for that, but I know in in the west coast of Canada, for example, in Vancouver, there's a lot of trouble with uh, intravenous uh, drug use. And so the government's actually set up places where people can come that have you know, that are addicted to heroin and cocaine and are injecting. And they can have safe injection sites and, and needles will be provided for them to prevent them from, you know, getting AIDS and things like that from the needles. Or I believe in some cases, um, I'm not sure if it's in Canada or in other countries, some alternative drugs will even be provided for them to help them wean off of it or to... Um, potentially even give them the drugs so that they have better I'm not sure exactly um, how that works but you know you would think if they're injecting illegal drugs they should just not be allowed to but maybe the option is different maybe we need to help and support these people Um, another really controversial issue is um, is prostitution And, um, there are some countries that make it, uh, that legalize it and then make it, um, uh, regulated. And then there's some countries that make it illegal and they punish the prostitutes. And there's some countries that make it illegal and they punish the men that are going to the prostitutes, the Johns. And those are all different ways of approaching it. And, um... My preference by far on that issue is to make it illegal and to prosecute the Johns, not the prostitutes. And I just raise a bunch of issues to say it's complicated. And the question of whether to legalize and regulate or to make it illegal, it's a very complicated question because if it's illegal, it's still something might still happen even though it's illegal. If you just think about all the things that that happen that are illegal some of them are you know even yard sales are usually illegal like technically you should be be having sales tax on anything you know whatever there's lots of things that go on that are illegal but when they're when they're illegal it's happening under the table there's no regulation there's no control the sky's the limit So that's one thing is that regulating it would, you know, give control to it. And the other thing is that um, regulating it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have more of it. It could actually be the opposite. We might actually have less interest in something if it's legal and regulated uh, than if it was illegal, depending on the issue. As well, there might be other reasons why... People are turning to this activity. And maybe if we could treat those reasons, then we could correct the behavior, such as prostitution, which is why I raise that. Um, There are certainly some women who turn to prostitution because they choose it and they want to make money and they see it as a career choice. There are a lot of women, and there always have been a lot of women, that that is the very last option. And so criminalizing it and punishing the prostitutes adds a problem to a problem. And um, I really don't think that's the way of Jesus. I think that the way of Jesus would be, and, and you see this in a lot of cases, and sometimes there's Christian organizations, and sometimes there's government organizations that try and take prostitutes and help them with the situation that brought them to that place in the first place and give them social aid to say you're in a bad place you had to make a bad decision let's see if we can help you and so I say all of that to say this is an interesting way of looking at abortion instead of just saying should it be legal or illegal and then behind that is all the intensity of is it murder or is it not murder because murder should be illegal Well, can we take a step back from that? And can we say, nobody wants abortions. Nobody. Nobody's in favor of them. But some women in some situations feel as though that's their only choice. And feel as though to bring that child into the world right now would not be the best for the child, would not be best for them. And so they feel like they have to make this choice. So... What could be done to help those women in those desperate situations, whatever they are, be able to say, you know what, things are different actually, maybe I will keep this child, or things are different, I'm not pregnant. What are those things? And if we could change some of those things, could we reduce the number of abortions more effectively than simply criminalizing it? And uh, as I had a discussion on Facebook, um, you know, we went back and forth on this quite a bit, and I'll get to that in a second. But after the discussion, I went online and just checked a few things. And what was really fascinating was comparing our two countries, Canada versus the United States, because the United States has pretty strict rules already on abortions and, and depends on the state. Some states have quite a bit of regulations whereas Canada has no regulations on abortions. It's the only industrialized nation um, that has no regulation at all. Doctors have free reign to do what they think is best for the child and for for the mother. And between our countries, per capita, the United States has 17 times, not 17%, but 17 times as many abortions per capita as Canada does. Whereas Canada is ranked 11th in the world for abortions, the United States is ranked second, second only to Russia for abortions. Um, so you got to ask, why is this? Canadians and Americans are f- quite similar in a lot of ways. Our demographic is quite similar, our... Um, Basic median income is pretty similar, our ethnicities are pretty similar, our religious views are fairly similar, our language is fairly similar, our culture is fairly similar. There's a lot of crossover. So 17 times more likely to have an abortion per capita in the United States than Canada. Why is that? Well, of course, the why question is the hardest question to answer in statistics because there is no statistic for why. But here's some things that I noticed between our two countries, um, one thing I notice is that we have free health care. So the cost of a birth here is zero. You go to a hospital, you give birth. The cost of a birth in the United States is anywhere from ten to $30,000. That is a lot of money. $10,000 to give birth to a child. Um, another thing is that the cost, uh, or um, the government here provides... Maternal leave, um, and I believe it's, it's it's either six or eight months. I forget now. Um, and the government will, depending on the on the province, will pay. I think it's sixty to seventy five percent of your previous wage. So if you have a job, you get paid sixty to seventy five percent, and your employer can top that up if they want to, if they are willing to. So you could potentially be living on a hundred percent of what you were previously making for a full eight months. Uh, while you nurse that child and get him ready for him or her ready for daycare, um, or or whatever the next stage is um, after after eight months, at least it's a a little bit more independent. As well, a lot of provinces, not all the provinces, but a lot of provinces have um, subsidized daycares. Where we were in Quebec, daycare was seven dollars a day, whereas in the United States. They don't have that. Oh, I meant to say in the United States, I believe it's two weeks of maternal leave, uh, which for a lot of women, they're, um, they're not even close to healed in two weeks. Uh, the body needs more time than that to recover from the shock of giving birth. Um, and another thing is that the minimum wage in Canada is anywhere between 14 and $15 an hour, whereas in the United States, I heard recently on a podcast, in Texas it's as low as $7 an hour for minimum wage. So if you can imagine a woman living on minimum wage, and she gets pregnant, and she knows she has two weeks off, I think it's even unpaid, and then she has to go back to work, and she has to try and pay off this $10,000 bill, How is she supposed to handle that? Versus in Canada, it's different. It's a different story. What I found remarkable and what what got me thinking in this direction in the first place is that um, I've heard from a number of sources that actually there were fewer abortions under Obama than there were under Republican presidents. And the reason was social aid. The reason was policies were different and so i ask again the question if left-leaning policies such as birth control social aid things like that could actually reduce the number of abortions wouldn't that be a better option than criminalizing abortion because again just because you criminalize something that doesn't mean it's going to go away now when i shared that um the response from a few people was really just to dig in their heels and say no this is a sin issue it's murder it's wrong it's got to go there's no other option there's no flexibility this is wrong all christians need to vote and work towards criminalizing um, making illegal all abortions and even when i kept coming back to over and over yes but if other policies could make could reduce the number of abortions. we would have less abortions. there would be less women that have to make this choice. They didn't seem to be able to hear that. They just kept hearing over and over, "You're wavering, you're weakening on this point of all abortions need to be illegal now it saddens me i- I was expecting it, but it saddens me because it's it speaks to me of an inability to think outside the box and and to come up with creative solutions and the other thing that it saddens me about it is it's a it's a utopic way of thinking what i mean by that a utopia is a perfect world and in politics there's a lot of systems that are trying to push us towards a utopia this is the problem and they never end well um this is the problem with marxism for example as you're familiar with communism socialism marxism not the same thing. Those three are not the same thing, but they have the same root, I come from Karl Marx. Um, and Marxism is trying to get us to utopia, a perfect world. And you always have to be a little worried when politicians are trying to get you to a perfect world because no perfect world exists. Part of what made the United States function so well and why most of the West is modeled after the United States way of doing things is because it's not a perfect system and it's not trying to create a perfect system it's trying to create a system that's going to work as best as it, as humanly possible with the imperfect people that we have and it seems to me as though we're going to have abortions the ancient Egyptians were doing abortions and they have been with us ever since the dawn of time there's going to be abortions so are we going to criminalize it Or are we going to work towards making them rare, safe, and legal? And emphasis on the rare. Nobody wants there to be lots of abortions. Nobody. And just to drive this point home, I did some really quick math estimates. I'm probably off. But if you take the number of abortions from 2019 and you reduce them by 17 times, that means you divide it by 17 and you only take one of those, the number was somewhere around 350,000 in a year. And if you divide that by 17, that's only 21,000 abortions in a year for the whole United States. And if somehow magically in one year United States could have the same policies that Canada has somehow get our magic working down there I know it's it's complicated it's not like that's how it works but just imagine if the United States could get there they could reduce their abortions by 17% that means that there would be 344 babies per year born um, that would have been aborted otherwise But it's even better than that. How could it be better than that? Because these would be babies that would not be forced on mothers. Can you imagine being in that terrible position of feeling like you can't provide for this child, there are no alternatives, you can't afford the the birth price, you can't afford to raise the child, maybe you're into drugs, maybe you're living in a brothel maybe you're still at home and you're and you there's incest going on and there's it's a terrible environment to bring a child into but the government forces you or else you'll go to jail and so you have the child anyways this wouldn't be that these three hundred and forty four hundred thousand, three hundred and forty four thousand thousand 344 thousand babies would be babies that the mother could have aborted but chose not to why because of social programs because she could afford to, because the birth was going to be free, because there was going to be daycare, there was going to be other options for her. And it could be even better than that, if you can imagine. How could it get even better than that? The way it could get even better than that is if the church could link arms across bipartisan across the party lines and say we care about young families we care about mothers we care about children let's make it free to have a baby in america let's make it feasible to raise a child in america let's make it um let's give mothers six months off four months off let's start slow maybe let's raise minimum wage so that these women can if they're single mothers, they can afford to be a single mother. They can afford to pay for this child. It seems like if, if Christians could catch this vision, if the church could catch this vision of, yes, there's going to be abortions, we're not going to make it illegal, we're not going to criminalize people, but we want to get that number down as low as we possibly can. You know, I said that the one thing that makes me sad is is the utopic vision The other thing that makes me frustrated and sad about this desire to criminalize it is because I don't think that people don't don't get this wrong, but it almost makes me feel like people aren't taking it seriously. And I know people are taking it very seriously. Let me give you an example at work, though. Um, There's a poster hanging on on wall on the wall at work. I work at a cement plant and I drive past that every day. And it says, our goal is zero idling. Because we drive big trucks, we're not supposed to leave them idling. We're supposed to turn them off when we get out. And there's all these stats and figures on there about how much gas we would save if we never ever idled. But the reality is, there's always going to be some idling. You're always going to waste some fuel. So the goal can't be zero. A more reasonable goal would be, our goal is 50% less idling than it was last year. Because what happens when people say the goal is zero is people's minds just go blank. Like, what's the plan to get to zero? What's the plan to get to zero homicide in America? What's the plan to get to zero drug use? What's the plan to get to zero traffic accidents? Like, you you can't do it. It's impossible. But what's the plan to have last year's numbers? That's an ambitious plan. What if we could cut the numbers by 30% by 2030? That'd be an amazing goal. And we could, we could set a plan, we could figure it out, we could work together. And it'd be something that would unite people, that people could care about, that everybody could get behind. Because nobody wants abortions. Nobody wants women to be in this position where, where they feel stuck and they feel like the only option is to have an abortion. What I found troubling in discussing um, this with some, some very conservative Christians is that as I kept hammering over and over, yes, but this would reduce abortions. There's other ways it would reduce. The, look at the stats. Look at the figures. It would bring the numbers down. It seemed as though they didn't care. They didn't care. They cared more about abortion being criminalized due to religious reasons than they did about there being less abortions. Being pro-life for them was less about bringing the number of abortions down, and it was more about making abortion illegal and criminalized, which which was strange to me, and I put some thought into that. And as best as I can understand, it kind of comes down to this, that people... been made to feel that abortion is a sin and it has created a stain on the nation like ceremonial uncleanness like defilement and that a sacrifice or punishment must be made to remove this stain and that the doctors and democrats and women are the ones that need to lay on the altar and suffer because there needs to be payment to remove this blemish. And once people pay and it's illegal and people are being thrown in jail for what they've done, then the nation can be cleaned and vindicated. That It seems to me, you can correct me if, you're, if you think I'm wrong, but it seems to me that that's the religious sort of mindset behind this. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's a helpful way to think of it. I think it's very emotive. I think that it's, it's just, it's everything that Jesus came to set us free from. Jesus didn't look at the, the woman caught in adultery or the woman at the well um, as ceremonially unclean or defiled. He saw them as women that, as so often happens, women that get hurt by men and cast aside by society. And Jesus' response was to reach out his hand and say, I want to help you. I want to elevate you. I want to give you dignity. I want to show you love. And I think that if we could find ways, and there are legitimate ways, and it doesn't take a lot of brain power to see what they are, if we could find ways to help women raise children and make that a viable choice, that we could really significantly affect the number of abortions and we could do so in a way that's a great testimony that shows the love of Jesus and we wouldn't have to put our support behind somebody like Donald Trump that let's face it does not stand for the values of Jesus Christ and that to me seems like it would fit with our vision on this podcast of seeking health health for ourselves health for others, health for our nation. This has been Josiah Meyer for the Seeking Health podcast. Seek health, find God, and let ministries find you. Have a good day, everyone. I wish you well.